Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for the VolQuest podcast where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I am Eric Kane with Brent Hubbs, Grant Ramey, and Rob Lewis. I uh, appreciate you guys for being here. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit this like button and subscribe to the channel. If you're uh, listening to us, we appreciate you. And as always, we thank you for checking out VolQuest.com and the VolQuest podcast, which is presented by Exterior Home Solutions. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. They've been local and trusted since 1999. That phone number for a free estimate is at 865-524-5888, or you can visit them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. we got a fun show coming up. We are going to open up Texas A&M Week. What a massive football game at Neyland Stadium coming up this weekend. Uh, we're going to have David Nuno on from Tex-Ags here in about five minutes. Uh, he's going to bring us an AM perspective. We're going to take a look around the SEC. But first, before we get into our special guest, um, we'll just kind of kind of open this week. Brent Hubbs, it's um, it's a big one. Tennessee, a, a daunting month of October, coming off the bye week. You got AM at home. You got Alabama on the road. You got Kentucky on the road. It feels like this is one at home that you need to go ahead and take care of because we know about the struggles UT has experienced on the road here of late, dating back to last year. Well, I mean, I think that when you looked at the schedule, you know, you had a couple of toss-up games in there. One was Florida. Could you go on the road and win? Because that had just been such a, a house of horrors, Grant. And, and the other one was A&M at home because A&M's got a wealth of talent. Uh, they're plenty talented to win anywhere, even though they've struggled on the road as well. Uh, but but this was, to me, has always been a toss-up game between these two teams when you look at the talent that, that A&M brings to the table, Grant. I think it's one of those things – when you talk about going to Gainesville and winning, Hub says all the time, I need to see you to believe it. The way Tennessee's played at home the last however long it's been, since November 2021, I guess at this point, you almost have to see Tennessee play poorly at home and lose a home game before you really think it's going to happen or you predict it's going to happen or you envision it happening because they've been so good at home and the home crowd has been so good and the home field advantage has been so strong. So we saw what you know Texas A&M was able to do to Alabama with a home crowd at its back. Now it's going to see what Texas A&M looks like on the road. And obviously, like Eric mentioned, what their road record has been the last, I don't know, what is it, eight true road games now at this point or something like this. It also goes back to, I think, October 2021 at Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. So that combined with the streak Tennessee's ride at home, um, I would expect the home field to, to make a difference in, in what feels like a top-up game. Rob, let me. I'm curious to ask this and get everybody's thoughts. On this. Eric, jump in here too. Is it just me, or does it feel like home field advantages are are greater right now than we've seen in the past, or is that just magnified because Tennessee has has had some offensive struggles on the road? Is is that is that how you view it, or, or do you think that that the home field advantage in this league is maybe better than it's ever been when you see that the way teams seem to be struggling on the road for the most part. Yeah, I, I don't really disagree with you, Herbert. I'd have to 
I, I'd have to have Grant Ramey compile some more data for me to look at, other than just you know, <laughs> Tennessee and the SEC. I'm, he's probably he's doing it right now. He's not looking at he's not looking up. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I think there's something to that. But I also think we're close to it. We see, you know, how bad Tennessee was at at, at the swap, or you know how much they struggled, you know, last year at Georgia with an even you know a better offensive football team. So I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I just don't know that I, I've got a wide enough sample size to to say uniformly that's the case across the country. Of course, then, Eric, you look at it – I'm sorry, you look at it, LSU wins on the road this past weekend. Alabama wins on the road this past weekend. (laughs) You know, Georgia wins on the road everywhere they go. Obviously, this wasn't this past weekend, but maybe maybe it's not the case, right? Well, I just think for Tennessee's perspective – you know, Tennessee hadn't been very good uh, for for the majority of the past 15 years or whatever. Now – Tennessee is good, and and so you know whenever you travel, those fan bases, those student sections, they're going to get up for this game. And plus, Tennessee does so much at the line of scrimmage. I mean, there's a lot of teams don't huddle anymore, but Tennessee does so much at the line of scrimmage in that tempo. And so I think that you know that type of environment, Grant, can often you know be a, a hindrance for Tennessee. And and unfortunately, at Georgia and at Florida earlier this year, you know we've kind of seen that. So I think home field advantage for sure is you know, Brent to your point been huge for a lot of teams that Tennessee's been playing and and that's why I think the the emphasis really you got to ball out this week if you're that home crowd just like you did against South Carolina it was loud a couple weeks ago Grant that's the environment Tennessee needs for that 330 CBS kickoff checker kneeling all the fireworks are here and, and Tennessee needs to have that home field environment I think college football wise or SEC wise maybe I think it just feels so wide open and maybe that's the NIL era and the transfer portal era where it's going to be a little bit more kind of wide open every year and there's not going to be such elite teams that we've seen the last decade or so I think Tennessee specifically maybe why they've been so good at home under the Heupel era is because a they started so fast consistently last year and when you get 14 21 points early on and get the crowd in it and keep them in it it's hard to come back against from a multi-touchdown deficit to begin with, but in that atmosphere with that crowd against that crowd, uh, it's even more difficult to do so. And just the explosive big plays. I mean, the way they can score, uh, the way Tennessee has scored the last couple seasons under Heupel with those big explosive plays at home, the sellout streak they've had, all this stuff going on, the way it all kind of comes together. Uh, they're just a really, really tough team to beat at home. We're going to have David Nuno uh, from Tech on here in just a couple of minutes, but I do think if Tennessee, and again, we say this about every single game, okay, but for Tennessee to find success, you got to be able to run the football. However, A&M has gone from worst to first in terms of rush defense. Really, really good against the run. 84 yards on average is what this team has given up on the ground per opponents. Uh, Josh Hopper was asked about that Monday in his press conference about the emphasis of running the football and the difficulties there. Here's what Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel had to say about running the football against Texas A&M. Stopping the run, they're good at getting after the quarterback too. Um, you know, uh, first of all, they got really good skill. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about their big skill up front too. Um, they're physical, they're dynamic, they're thick, uh, they play strong, they're multiple up up front. Um, they've created a bunch of negative yardage plays in, in the run game. And uh, that's given them the ability to get, go get after the quarterback, uh, second and long, third and long too. So. Uh, you got to do a great job in communication. Um, you got to win some one-on-ones when you're in a, a one-on-one. Your double team's got to be good enough to, to change the way the, the line of scrimmage looks, too. So um, big test for us uh, up front and, and across the board offensively. You look at Florida, Tennessee could not run the football at Florida. Um, you're going to need to run the football in this game, and that's not just the five up front. That's the tight ends. That's the wide receivers. Uh, Brent Hubs, you, you got to be able to block well, and Tennessee needs to establish the run 
in order to where you're not one-dimensional and having just your passing game, the, the only thing that you can do against a defense like A&M? Well, I, I watched more football on Saturday than I probably have watched in the last three years combined outside of a Tennessee game. Um, I, I watched everything that was on TV. I mean, I watched Wyoming and Fresno State. If it was on TV, I, I was watching. I watched part of Army and um, Boston College on Saturday. So I watched a ton of football. Here, here's what – That's here's like a big my, day for Tracy Hubbs, Grant. <laughs> she's not in town. <laughs> no. Not in town. She, why he was allowed was to do that. Lady. Okay, that makes late, sense. That's why I got to watch, that right? That makes sense now. <laughs> um, so here, here's where I come away with this. One, quarterback legs are just invaluable in college football. And, and it's not just Grant calling run plays for the quarterback. It, it's the quarterback making a quick decision and turning a potential negative play into a two-yard gain or a four-yard gain. I think in this game, Joe Milton's legs have to show up. Now, I don't think he's got to run for 150 yards, but but he's got to avoid the big-time negative play with, with his legs. The other thing, too, and this may be the harder challenge for Josh Heupel, is he can't forget about his run game, particularly when it's not going well. And you go back and look at that second quarter at South Carolina, 12 passes, one running back carry. That was after 90 yards rushing in the first quarter. I mean, they just kind of forgot about it. Um, they're going to have to be a little bit stubborn running the football, and, and the quarterback's going to have to help them out, I think, Grant, this weekend. I think, yeah, they have to consistently do it. I think they got to consistently get Dylan Sampson involved. I think they got to split it pretty evenly like they have in most games, not including Florida, obviously. Uh, with Florida, just the way they got down, it felt like they abandoned the run game. It's a little more, I don't know, concerning that it happens after that first quarter against South Carolina based on the way they ran it in the first quarter. And then the split that Hubs is talking about uh, in the second quarter. With with Joe, I think running, he's just got to have a better feel. Uh, he's got to get that three to five to make it second and medium or third and manageable instead of second and 12 and playing behind the sticks like he like Heupel talks about all the time. And I think that's where Joe's got to improve the most the second half of the season is that feel to not be that running quarterback that Hendon Hooker was all the time or, you know, an 81-yard touchdown like he had against UTSA. But – just getting that three to five and, and making that next snap a little bit more manageable. Yeah, see, I think that's huge because, I mean, staying on schedule always, but against this Texas A&M team, I mean, they're they're disruptive up front. Um, they they got three of the top five, three of the top ten guys in the SEC in, in tackles for losses. They have what either five or six sacks on Saturday against Alabama, one of the two, and I mean they can get you off schedule in a hurry. So I think I mean ten, I think Tennessee has to be stubborn. What Grant's talking about. You know, Joe's got to not take a three-yard loss. You know, even if, even if it's going to be a two-yard gain, you know, second and eight beats the heck out of second and twelve. It's going to be a big quarterback matchup. Going to be a big defensive matchup. All that three thirty Eastern time at uh, Neyland Stadium, CBS game of the week. And of course, we'll have all that coverage at VolQuest.com. From the Texas A&M side, that's going to be at TexAgs.com. And here to join us on the VolQuest podcast is David Nuno. And I uh, really appreciate you, David, joining the show. Um, huge game coming up. And obviously, it's a big one for Tennessee. It's going to be a big one for Texas A&M coming off that home loss to Alabama. What's this kind of feel like, this matchup uh, here in the early week as, as Texas A&M will head to Knoxville uh, for for what should be a good one? Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, and I apologize that the lighting doesn't look too good here. Uh, look, this is a fork in the road moment for Texas A&M. There's no doubt about that. I, I know Tennessee still has a chance to really rectify their season, but AM hasn't won a road game since uh, a real road game since Missouri 2021. AM has not shown an ability to stop an aerial attack. 
Uh, Tennessee can do that. Tennessee's great at home. Uh, Tennessee can run the ball well, something that A&M has done phenomenally uh, stopping the run this year. All that being said, uh, it is a huge moment for A&M because, yeah, you lost to Miami on the road early on trying to figure out your defense. You thought you got to figure it out. But then Jalen Milrow looks like Tom Brady connecting with Randy Moss, connecting every pass he needed to do, especially down the, down the field. So uh, what Joe Milton and that offense can certainly do, I think it's very scary for A&M. Uh, but I do think if they are able to find a way to win this game, most of everything we had envisioned for this program for this year in particular is still there. There is still a world where this team could win nine or ten games in the regular season. Uh, but if you don't win on the road in the SEC, it ain't happening. You know that. And uh, that's something that's going to be a huge, huge challenge for sure. David, I'm curious about this, this A&M defense. I mean, we, we know about the defensive front and, and how good they are. I was a little surprised at how crowded the box uh, was defensively. They didn't, you know, there were a lot of single safety high looks for Jalen Milrow, I thought made the field a little easier to read. What, what's the story on the A&M secondary um, and, and, and kind of how have they played, um, you, you know, the, pat, the, the past game throughout the year? They've struggled. They, they have absolutely struggled. And, and their only two tests have come against, you know, I thought Arkansas would be a test, but that offensive line was no match for the A&M defensive front, right? So when they're able to put on uh, pressure the way they were able to do in the first half of the Alabama game, the way they did uh, in the Auburn game, the Arkansas game, it's really hard to throw uh, on this team when they're able to do that. But as you saw, um, Alabama, they made some changes. They were able to, you know, A&M still got in the backfield. They still had a really good second half getting to the quarterback. Uh, but uh, the secondary has struggled. And it has struggled against Miami where Tyler Van Dyke, who they did not pressure at all. He was sacked twice in that game but it's not the same defense that you've seen since then. Tyler Van Dyke just was able to dink and duck as much as he wanted. And A&M's defense had a hard time tackling at that point. There was a lot of, uh, you know, the, you didn't see a lot of the gang tackling you've seen since that point. So if, if you're Tennessee, and I know you can run the ball well, um, but I'm throwing on that secondary until they prove they can stop it. The thing is, and, and I caught this note, I think Joe Milton's only been sacked five times this year. I know they haven't taken on a caliber of defensive front that A&M brings. But that is something to watch out for because um, if AM is not able to get to Joe Milton, I don't know what that secondary is going to be able to do. David, has there been a common thread in these road losses over the last couple of years for, for the for the streak to be as long as it has at this point? Have they played out in a similar fashion or has it just been completely different uh, game in and game out? Well, look um, – this is, a, this is not the same team from 2021. The team with 2021 was also on a backup quarterback, but um, that, that team was built differently. Last year was a bunch of young players. I mean, that's what you had on the road. A lot of these guys that are starring this year were, were absolutely too young for the big moment, and you had key injuries. You had key injury to your starting quarterback, which say what you want about Max or say what you want about Haynes King – when you go into a season thinking that's going to be your guy and it goes to the next option for whatever reason, Haynes was initially benched. Then Max got broke his, with his finger or uh, his wrist, I should say. And then you have to go with Connor Wigman, but Haynes goes in for a little bit. You know, the, the changing of the guard certainly has hurt them on the road. Uh, I asked Jimbo Fisher about that today. He says, you just, you need a veteran team in the SEC to win on the road, a team that doesn't make the mistakes that AM has made on several occasions. So to me, it's, it's about cleaning up some of those mistakes there's no doubt about it. I, I think this team has uh, – this is the, the biggest moment of the season for them because of what I, I, I illustrated earlier. But I think they can get to the quarterback in this game. Uh, how many times? I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see the 7-7-6 seven, seven, that we've seen in the last 
uh, three SEC games for Texas A&M, seven sacks, seven sacks, six sacks. Uh, but if they can get to Joe Milton, um, then I think it, it gives them a chance to, to win on the road to quiet the crowd. But again, they've made too many mistakes on the road, through, you know, even in Miami this year. David, what's been the biggest difference with the, the offense and Bobby Petrino with, with the court after the energy to, to Wegman and, and Johnson coming in? Has it been dramatic or, you know, really conservative or, or not so much? Hard to say because when Wegman goes down, look, Max Johnson, I think every team in, in the SEC would love to have Max Johnson as their backup quarterback. He is that good. He can start on a lot of SEC teams. He's a good quarterback. I think Connor Wigman has the ability to potentially be great. Um, he, he, you can win because of Connor. You win with Max, and that's been the, the biggest drop-off. Look, he holds on to the ball too much. And Alabama, who has a salty defensive line who came into that game with something to prove because they had read the press clippings all about A&M's defensive line, they got after to Max in the second half, and he held on to the ball too long. That's been the biggest issue. Look, the offense is better than it was last year for multiple reasons, uh, but it's still not groundbreaking, at least in the SEC. Like, it's, it's still managing to score about 24 points a game in SEC play. It needs to be better than that. Uh, it needs to be – especially when you go to, to Tennessee, a team that's gone, that is conditioned and can win a shootout. I don't know if a built that way. Um, and if it goes to a shootout, I don't know if A&M is going to be able to to match the wits of a Tennessee. So that's why you want it to not be and, and, and move that offense. They've got a ways to go, but they're certainly better than they were last year. David, you go from worst to first uh, as of right now through six games uh, in the SEC in terms of a rush defense, allowing, I think, 208 yards on the ground on average a game last year to 84 this year. A lot of football left to be played, but What's been the biggest difference? I mean, why the, the sudden change? But really across the board, I mean, getting after the quarterback as well, already 26 sacks, only the 19 a season ago. Yeah, um, I'm going to give props to DJ Durkin, who's gotten a lot of flack, especially for the way the secondary has played. But he, um, he became the linebacker's coach, all right? So I think that has helped a lot. Our linebacker play has been significantly better than it was last year with a little bit of a personnel change. Torian York was a freshman that no, a lot of people didn't know about, not one of the five stars that everybody talks about. They thought they had Harold Perkins a couple years ago. Um, they, they thought they had other players, right? So um, the fact that Torian has been able to become a starter and an integral part of what those linebackers do, that's part of it. The other part is McKinley Jackson's healthy all year this year. He was only healthy for part of the year last year. And a gentleman you guys all know, Walter Nolan is a grown man, right? You get Walter Nolan in there with his ability to get to the quarterback, his ability to plug in. Um, that, that is part of the reason. You've seen the maturation. We talked about this being a really young team on the road last year. Well, a lot of those young players were on the defensive line last year, and they all got a lot of, you know, birth of, a baptism by fire by playing against those SEC teams. They have grown up. Like, they faced Bama, who can run the ball. They faced Auburn, who can run the ball. They've done a really good – they faced Rocket Sanders in Arkansas, and they can run the ball. All three of those tests, A&M, at least from stopping the run, have looked really good. Quarterbacks haven't been able to run on them either. Uh, again, the problem has just been, can they cover somebody? And if the quarterbacks, or excuse me, if the defensive line isn't getting the quarterbacks, that's where the big issue is. David, two, two questions here from me. One, how much does, does Max being the quarterback on the road, given his experience in the SEC as a starting quarterback, how much comfortability does that give the offense in terms of managing a crowd? Because he's played in a bunch of different venues, obviously, in this league. And two, DJ Durkin has gone up against Josh Heupel's offense before. He did that at Ole Miss two years ago in a win in Knoxville. How much advantage is it, do you think, for this A&M defense in terms of prepar preparation for Tennessee's uniqueness, 
given that DJ Jerkin has already called a game against it once? Look, DJ Jerkin gets a lot of flack, as we've already touched on. But one thing that we learned about that Ole Miss defense, in year one at Ole Miss, that defense was a train wreck. In year two, they struggled in the very first couple of games of the season. I think that Arkansas game, they gave up like 52 points, I think it was, or something close to that amount. And then they became a really good defense throughout without the talent that A&M has on this year's team. Uh, I think that goes a long way as this defense continues to play in the familiarity with some of the opponents in the SEC, Tennessee being one of them. I think that does go a long way. Different Tennessee team, obviously. Um, When it comes to Max Johnson, that is where you, again, talk about having a backup quarterback who could start on a lot of programs, who has won on the road, who has taken on these tough environments. This will not be strange for Max Johnson, who has won. And honestly, like he's he's had a couple turnovers the last few weeks, but since he's the last, what, last season at LSU and these last couple years here at A&M, he's protected the football very well, had a bad interception last week against Alabama, which might have been the game changer. I'll be interested, though, because Alabama comes in here and they have eight false starts. They have 11 penalties, uh, and the crowd had a lot to do with that. The 12th man was really loud. They found a way to win the game. I expect a similar atmosphere there when we go to Neyland, and uh, I think Max has got the temperament to handle that. It's going to be everybody else with him. Can they handle it? And the bottom line is, if you can't protect Max Johnson, if you cannot protect him, they're going to struggle. And I think that's one area that they have to get better at. They will not face a defensive front as good as Bama's this year, although I'm not trying to give this credit to any of the teams they're about to face. The way Alabama played that last game, especially in the second half, that was out of this world good. You mentioned Saturday is potentially a, a fork in the road. Uh, after a five-win season last year, kind of where do things sit with Jimbo and I guess the, the opinion on him and uh, what he's built there, kind of what's, what it looks like moving forward? Um, it's, it's all TBD guys. Like, look, everybody wanted him fired last year um, in, in the SEC. We all know the contract, what it is. This guy recruits at an extremely high level, top five, top 10 level. Uh, every year, like these last couple of years, because I mean, the, the, this program was ascending. Let's not forget he won nine twice before the 2020 season where they went nine and one. Their only loss being uh, to Alabama. So there was an ascension. The next year, they lost a lot of seniors, and uh, they had a changing of the guard at quarterback, and he gets hurt, and it goes downhill. And last year was a comedy of errors. really was. Um, and I think it was, it's happening in the middle of this NIL world, transfer world, where, you know, you got these young players that don't, you know, they, they walk on water. Um, and you had some, some dudes on that program uh, that just didn't fit the, the culture that they were trying to establish. Fast forward to this year, look um, – we expect no less than nine or eight wins this year. And that's low. I'm going to be honest with you. Like this program did not sign up for nine or eight wins. There keeps being this, but what if, but what if, what if you get a, a defensive line that can stop the run? Well, they answer that. What if, what if you can get an offense that moves the ball? Well, for a while before the second half of the Alabama game, it felt like you were moving in that direction with Bobby Petrino. Well, what if, and now the newest what ifs are, can you protect Max Johnson and not lose another quarterback? And what if you had a secondary that worked? Uh, Jimbo's got more grace than people think because of that contract and because of the, his ability to, um, to to recruit. But let's be honest, every program in the SEC, you can only have so many down years, right? Like every coach, if, if you know, it doesn't look like it's going to happen for Alabama. But if Alabama went seven and five this year, you know, at one point, some people were saying that was a possibility. Doesn't look like it anymore because they are Alabama. You know, people are going to be saying, has the game passed by Nick Saban? Jimbo's contract is part of the reason he's still here. The other part is that guy recruits at an elite level. He has won a national championship. He's got the fourth best well, A&M since entering the SEC has the fourth best record in the entire conference since joining. 
They just have nothing to show for it. <laughs> no conference championships, no division championships. Things have to change. I just don't know unless it's another bottom out season that we're going to be talking about that, at least here locally. Uh, and David, last thing for me, just, you know, Bobby Petrino was probably, you know, that hire probably generated as many headlines as any assistant coach in the country last winter. What's, you know, the, what's the impact of that hire been like? And, and, and maybe is it not fair because of the quarterback injuries to even kind of talk about it? Well, I mean, look, let, let's, let's play this game for a minute. Um, I know that you guys were pretty happy with the quarterback room there in Tennessee, but you can look at almost any team in the country, right? Um, Alabama has some quarterback issues, but if Tyler Buckner was their starting quarterback, are they a potentially 11-win team? I don't think so. You look at most teams in the SEC or most teams in the country that are on their backup quarterback, their chances of winning eight or nine games um, or 10 games goes out the window. I think with Max Johnson, you still have a chance for that, but it, it, the offense isn't a finished product. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's a finished product. It wasn't a finished product in 21. It wasn't a finished product in 22. Unfortunately, it's not a finished product here in 23. you got to get through that. Um, you got to figure out why your quarterbacks keep getting hurt and why they're getting hurt early on. You've got to protect your quarterbacks. Uh, the offense is better than it was last year, but it was so bad last year. That's the bare minimum. I wish we were having this conversation leading into the Bama game uh, because everything felt much better. But you know how it is. You lose a game. The water tastes bad. The coffee's cold. Yeah. You get more we know how it light. is. <laughs> yeah. So, so sitting here today, I mean, look, the, I think it's better. I like the play calling better. It's more creative. Um, you just lost to a team that is having a down year that may still win 11 games. You know, they may win 10 games at the, at the worst, the way their schedule is going to play out. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it doesn't feel as good after that game, but it's certainly, and everybody around the country, especially when Connor was dealing was talking about a and a different team, and they could potentially still be one of those different teams, but it, it does start this weekend. David, great stuff, man. Really appreciate you joining our show and giving us a, a great perspective of Texas A&M, the secondary, the offensive line, the quarterback, the play calling, all that and more. Should be a good one, 3.30 Eastern time at Neyland Stadium, the CBS game of the week. And uh, David, from an A&M perspective, what do you guys have going on over there at Texas this weekend or this week? Well, it's, it's busy. We'll be doing all, all of our shows. We had Feinbaum on today with his ties in Tennessee. We'll, we have Gary Danielson coming on later on in the week. It's just a busy show uh, here at Texas. Well, we do focus 90% of our, our, our efforts on A&M, but we do some SEC coverage as well. And Eric, you've been a part of that uh, coverage. So it'll be busy. We'll head out there to, I think we're flying in the Chattanooga on Friday afternoon and we'll be there ready for the game. And uh, it'll be my first time there. I, I, uh, this year, I'm not going on every road trip, but this is one of the ones I said I have to be at. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because I, I've heard so many great things about going there, and I, I can't wait to see it and see you all too as well. Absolutely, man. It'll be one for the books. At least that is the hope. David Nuno, TexAgs.com. Appreciate it, man, and uh, we'll see you this weekend. Thank you, guys. Thanks, all right, Dave. we'll continue on here on the Ball Quest podcast. Really good stuff there from David Nuno. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we'll come back. We'll uh, talk a little bit more A&M. We'll look around the SEC. That and a whole lot more as we continue on here on the VolQuest podcast. I do want to remind you guys about our fr our friends, a proud sponsor of the show. That is Game Time. And the thing with Game Time is, hey, you really shouldn't have to worry about buying tickets to your next big event. Uh, Game Time, it's a fast and easy way to buy all your tickets to not only your sporting events, but music, theater, comedy, whatever event is in your area. Game Time is the place to buy those last-minute deals. Get the last-minute deals all in prices, views of your seats. 
the best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. You guys know we have a lot going on here in East Tennessee, specifically in Knoxville. Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, you know, baseball, all the sports there, but also TBA, the Food City Center now. Tons and tons of concerts, monster truck rallies, all that type of stuff inside the Food City Center at Thompson Bowling Arena, and you can find all the perfect last-minute tickets for great prices over at the Game Time app. So what I encourage you to do is download that Game Time app. Create an account. If you, you're looking on the screen right now here on YouTube, it's super, super easy to use. And create an account. Use the promo code VOLS, and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code VOLS, V-O-L-S, for $20 off at Game Time. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed and as always we want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to our presenting sponsor of the VolQuest podcast and that is exterior home solutions your roof it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business that's why i trust the experts at exterior home solutions okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Big thanks as always to our friends, Exterior Home Solution, for making this coverage possible. Go ahead and give them a call today at 865 524. 5888 or visit them online exteriorhomesolutions.com. All right, so great perspective from AM from uh from David there who just joined us on the Volquist podcast. We'll continue on Mailbag podcast, Rocky Top, uh Round Table, Game Quest podcast, all that and more plus all of our written work. Let's look around the SEC. You know, Tennessee football was off this past weekend a chance to watch and take in a whole lot of football. Brent Hubs, let's go ahead and start with this AM and Alabama game. Uh, it was at home for AM. Alabama wins this one, but I think, and David kind of mentioned it there, I think the biggest surprise was, hey, you know, Alabama uh, threw, threw the football down the field a lot. And Jalen Milrow to, to Burton and some of those other guys, I don't think anybody kind of saw that coming. And and if Milrow can hit on some of those plays and he has that ceiling that's so much higher than Buckner or Simpson, Alabama looks as dangerous as ever. Well, I mean, I think anybody writing the Alabama obituary a couple of weeks ago was obviously premature in doing that, which is not a surprise. My biggest takeaway from that game, though, um, Grant, Rob, was the fact that D.J. Dirk and the defensive coordinator for uh, Texas A&M played single safety high and, and played man coverage on the outside. I, I think if you watch Jalen Milrow play against Texas – uh, in a game that he basically lost his job, he had a hard time reading the field and seeing the field. He threw into double coverage. He didn't read safeties very well. I thought A&M made it easier for Milrow throwing the football because he could throw 50-50 balls, Grant, because it was a lot of one-on-one on, on the outside and not a whole lot of, of kind of read the field, read coverage type stuff. I, I was surprised that that's the way A&M elected to play him defensively. Uh, really the entire game, and Alabama figured it out in the second half. It feels like there's always an obituary written about Alabama prematurely after a loss because I guess they just lose so rarely. But, I mean, not only to lose to Texas, but to look the way they did against at South Florida uh, a week later and to shuffle qu- quarterbacks the way they did. Uh, for Milrow to get the job back and to play like he did and for them to go on the road and have, what was it, 14 penalties for – close to 100 yards and a couple turnovers, and a lot of stuff didn't go very well for them in that game. 
uh, quite a bit of adversity on the road, 100,000, whatever the capacity is, and at Kyle Field, a tough place to play. And for them and for – I don't think they ran the ball very well against that Texas A&M front. So for Milrow to do that, to throw it the way they did, uh, and to win in the fashion they did, overcoming some mistakes – uh, the difference a couple weeks can make for a team, any team, especially Alabama, uh, is crazy in this league. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to add. They they had 23 yards rushing on. They averaged less than a yard per carry. If you'd have told me, and it, you know, they a lot of the, that was sack yardage, but even you take that out, they they barely topped 50 yards. And if you'd have told me Alabama had 23 yards rushing and with Milrow at quarterback and score 26 points and win, I would have I would have been <laughs> skeptical to say the least. Rob well, McClellan is- had. 45 yards on 12 carries. Williams had nine yards on six carries. So Milrow got sacked a couple of times, minus 31. But to your point, even the running game, I mean, you, you weren't topping 50 yards. You didn't top 50 yards essentially by one guy. Uh, they, they struggled to run the football. Well, so, Rob, my question is, is that more of a credit to Alabama for finding a way to win or more of a disappointment from Texas A&M that you couldn't win that football game when you – stymied the run game and had the sacks that you had yet you didn't and, and they had all the Alabama had all the you know self-inflicted wounds and yet you still couldn't find a way to beat them well I think it's a disappointment for Texas A&M but also I mean what you were just talking about with Durkin I mean he was he was rolling the dice and, and Milrow beat him I mean they couldn't run the football and pretty clearly Durkin was that wanted to put it all on Milrow's shoulders and he, he made enough throws and you know Bama's receivers made enough plays down the field to, to make A&M pay for it did we learn more about Georgia or Kentucky, Grant, uh, in that football game? Was it Georgia? Okay, Georgia's you know back to being Georgia, or was it Kentucky? Well, Kentucky's not as good as we thought they were because you actually played somebody with a pulse. Fifty-one thirteen, Georgia made quick work in Kentucky. I think it's a little bit of both, but I would go more so Georgia. It felt like Georgia was kind of playing with its food a little bit the first tower of many games uh, before Saturday night, and obviously going to Athens, a, a night game facing that kind of talent, that team, what they've done the last couple of years. I don't, I don't think Kentucky's dead. I don't think Kentucky's probably as bad as they looked at Georgia. I don't think Tennessee last year was as bad as they looked at times at Georgia. I think it's just a really tough team, and it felt like the first time we've seen Georgia kind of look like Georgia, the Georgia that everybody expected, the Georgia that wasn't really messing around with the slow start that, that got out there at, what was it, 34-7 at halftime to be able to get out to that fast start at home. If they finally looked like the team I thought everybody was expecting. I mean, Brent, Devin Leary was missing wide-open guys in that first half. Just wide-open guys. Obviously, Ray Davis couldn't run it as successfully as he did the week before against Florida. Uh, but I still think we're kind of just perplexed a little bit, thinking that the quarterback play for Kentucky was going to be much better than what it's been to this point. Well, Le- Leary's just not done what Kentucky fans were hoping that he would no. do when he transferred out of NC State. Of course, he, you know, he had the injury. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that there's still suspect Rob at, at, with their weapons on the outside. There's still some young guys there. I, I don't think that they're necessarily dynamic. The, the, the two penalties they had were just colossal, horrible penalties uh, in, in the first quarter on offense to, to stop drives. Um, and then Georgia cut it loose, right? I mean, Georgia decided, hey, we're not going to beat our head against the wall running the football. If you're going to play off coverage, we'll just raise up and throw it and all of a sudden, they got balanced, and that game just got away from Kentucky before Kentucky even knew what hit them. But but Leary has just not played nearly to what anybody in the Bluegrass State thought that he might. Yeah, I look at Arkansas and Ole Miss. Boy, Rob, Arkansas has now dropped four straight. 
been some close calls in there, but four straight. I think the I think the biggest loss in that spam was to A and M, and that was you know ten or eleven. I can't remember, but anyway, uh, another close loss, losing to uh, Ole Miss. Now Ole Miss five and one on the year, still that one loss to Alabama a couple weeks ago, and then for Arkansas, you've got Alabama next week, so that losing streak is probably going to grow to another game at five straight. Yeah, I mean, just you know, and I don't know how good anybody really thought Arkansas was going to be, but it's it's it's. It feels pretty ugly right there. Right, zero and three in the SEC. You know, I'm, I'm sure they had some opportunities against Texas A&M and you know bungled it. Played Ole Miss kind of close, but man, I mean, you, you mentioned it. This the schedule is not getting any easier for them at all. I mean, it's not like they played a murderer's row to start the SEC their first three weeks. So, um, man, I, I think it could get pretty bad there in Fayetteville. Well, what's interesting to me, Grant, about them is KJ Jefferson's not any better than he was two years ago. It doesn't feel like. Yeah. Now, I don't think he's got a ton of weapons around him, but but he's not. He, he's not. The, the, he, the quarterback development there with him has not been very good. And I think the loss of Barry Odom on the defensive side of the ball was a significant loss for for Arkansas because Arkansas isn't going to outscore a lot of people anyway with the way they played offensive football. Um, I, I think those two things are, are really really significant and putting Arkansas in the position they're in right now. I think the worst thing you can say about Arkansas is Ole Miss beat you by seven and Ole Miss isn't really that happy about it. Like to be down late in the first, or sorry, early in the fourth quarter against Ole Miss, uh, against Arkansas, what was it? 20 to 17, something like that. Looks like a game that Arkansas might sneak up and, and get them. I think you're, you want style points against an Arkansas team that's struggling and for Ole Miss to not to get that, uh, Ole Miss looking for a response of their own uh, to their first loss of the season. So I think that's the worst thing you can say about Arkansas. It's going to be, it's, you know, there's, it's just the halfway point for them and it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to be a, a long season of hot boards and private jet tail tracking and, and all that stuff in uh, Fayetteville. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong in terms of the weapons, Brad, I don't, I don't think Arkansas has really had a receiver since Traylon Burks, right? I mean, you got Rocket Sanders, great running back. You got a quarterback that's been there a decade and KJ Jefferson, who, you, know, you think thinks a pretty good weapon, but in terms of receivers out on the perimeter, you you don't have really anybody you can hang your hat on. No, you don't. And and, and you know Arkansas has got some other things working against them too. Rob, I mean, and I, I mean I love Sam Pittman, but Sam Pittman went on a rant about social media a couple of weeks ago, and um, you know was, was pretty defensive and kind of got after fans about that. And his offensive coordinator emails fans back <laughs> who sent them who sent him emails. That's an all timer right there. Him. It really is. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, none of those things, you, you know, if you're winning, those things don't come to, nobody talks about that stuff, right? But, but if you're going to go into a tailspin and you're losing, all that stuff gets magnified in a big time way. And, and I think that there, I think the pressure is mounting in Fayetteville. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are, are not going to be real quiet because, they feel like that, you know, in some ways the coaching staff has challenged them publicly. And that's just not a public fight that you want to get into if you're a college football coach. And those two, that, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt them in a pretty bad way, I think, over the course of, the, of this month. I agree. I mean, I think, I think, you know, we all dealt with Coach Pittman. I don't know. Eric might have been still in grade school, but he was, I mean, <laughs> a, a really good dude. I mean, one of the best guys oh, yeah. that's been through here. And, you know, for him, and I'm sure he had a tremendous amount of goodwill with the Arkansas, with Arkansas fans, you know, more than a guy who had put up the wins and losses that he had, you know, probably would, if not for his personality, but by taking on the fans in this day and age with social media like that, that's just, I, I would say a lot of goodwill has evaporated. 
Here's here's the nicest thing I'll say about Arkansas since I said the meanest thing. Uh, they got Tennessee on schedule next year, so somehow they'll be eight and zero when they play Tennessee, <laughs> and they'll have uh, three Heisman Trophy candidate running backs and two Bolitnikov front runners at wide receiver and some six five quarterback slinging it all over the place. And Belichick will retire from the Patriots and become associate head coach at Arkansas. So just because Tennessee's on the schedule. Yes, that's exactly how it works. Uh, you got Tennessee and Auburn, who did not play, were off. Mississippi State, only 13 points over Western Michigan. Florida, you know, Vanderbilt, who cares about that game? The, the last game I want to highlight here is, I mean, I was wrong on LSU. I thought LSU was going to be a whole lot better than what LSU was, and there were a lot of people like me in that camp. That defense, I mean, Grant, what defense is showing up? There's no defense for LSU right now, and Missouri's better. Missouri is better. We knew Missouri was going to be better defensively or kind of came in the season okay defensively but I mean Brady Cook's been making some plays 39 points in a loss to LSU um that's a high scoring game and, and I just I, I couldn't imagine LSU being this bad before the season started maybe it's just because the games I've watched Missouri where it's Heupel putting 60 plus on them the last couple of years no. or uh I, I don't know I just never trust Missouri five no starts great um you know that's that's just, but you still you got to see a little bit more than that, more tests that they got to pass. LSU is one of those tests where you got to pass that test to be legit. And you just don't trust it. You don't believe it until you see it. And obviously, I, I never really bought into LSU all that much last year because I guess because last year we saw them on their worst day, their worst 60 minutes of football, uh, whatever, and they beat Alabama at home later in the year. But I just didn't trust Missouri because I just haven't seen it the last couple of years to make me believe they're they might be headed in the right direction, but how quickly they're going to get there and and how, how long it's going to take them to be a legit threat uh, in this league. I just have to see it. Yeah, I mean, for me, Rob, when when you look at this, this matchup here, there, there's or this thing here, there's a couple couple of things that, that stand out to me. One, this Missouri-Kentucky game uh, coming up this week is going to be really interesting because I don't think that you know what you know about either one of those teams. This is another find-it-out you know, week with those two teams, despite you know their fast start. And then two, you know, my worst hot take of the year was the notion that Spencer Rattler was playing the best football of any quarterback in the SEC uh, com coming in, coming out of the Mississippi State game, heading into the Tennessee game. Uh, Jaden Daniels, best player in this league right now on offense. Uh, he he should be everybody's front runner for the Heisman. He probably won't be, but he should be because there's nobody nobody's more valuable to their team right now than Jaden Daniels because LSU feels like they got to score on every possession. And and that's basically what he did in the fourth quarter for them to get that win. Um, man, he's playing really good football. Well, they, not just, I mean, not as much in third. They scored 32 points in the second half, you know, trailing. And, I mean, every time LSU needed him to make a play, I watched pretty much all the second half. It just seemed like he did. You know, even came back from the injury tent, to, you know, to, to lead a scoring drive. Which just – I mean, I thought the I thought he was pretty good last year, but and he's he's taken a step this year, and and he's, he is and don't dismiss him just as a dual threat guy that's you know looking to run and get out of the pocket. He made some he made some big time throws down the field on Saturday. Hey, but here's the thing: he takes at least one shot every game. Oh, where you're yeah. like, oh my god, he's not going to get up. <laughs> you know, I mean they 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 get him rattled every single game, man. They got to protect him because. You know, Brent, to your point, I mean, he's he's playing some great football right now, but the, the the blocking up front, man, they're not doing him much favors at times. Well, if they if they don't if they don't keep him healthy, they're they're going to be that's going to be a really really ugly football team the back half of this season if he can't stay well because 
they just can't do a whole lot w- without him on the field. And so um, I, I think, you know, that that's going to be a vital. He, he's he's the ultimate bubble wrap guy. But the problem is his game is not bubble wrap game because he uses his legs <laughs> the way that they do. So um, I think that one's going to be interesting. And then my last thing from the league as we wrap it up is – or get ready to wrap it up is – the, the, the game management and the officiating in this league for the amount of money that's being spent, the amount of money the league makes, Grant, the amount of money that's being spent at schools for these coaches to make that amount, the, the amounts they make, and the 40 guys they have on the sidelines in golf shirts telling everybody what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, they're some of the most head-scratching things to watch. It's It's just crazy to see. And that stood out in clarity on Saturday and watching everybody in the SEC play. Some uh, accountability would be nice. I mean, even in the NBA, if if there's a final two-minute report just about, I I think in every single NBA game where they go over every call and they admit mistakes and and they admit whatever, whatever should have happened, didn't happen, uh, that would be nice just to have some accountability to go back and, and to put out something officially that says this call was missed here, this call was missed here, whatever. Uh, and you could know which crews are missing these calls and which guys are most, con- you know, your most consistent offenders and you know, where, where these crews rank compared to the others. I mean, everybody else is accountable, head coaches, players, assistant coaches, everybody. Uh, everybody talks to the media after games, the assistant coaches, head coaches, everybody. Uh, it would be nice to get some accountability from their side of it too because, yeah, it's bad. It's bad across a bunch of sports. It's not just football. It's basketball as well. Um, and, and no accountability feels like there's there's no way to fix it. I'm just baffled by some of the decisions that we see. I mean, I, I'm just not just in the SEC, but just around college football. It, it just, it's crazy. I mean, the, the coach from Arizona didn't know you had to go for two after the second overtime. Yep. He didn't know the rule. That rule's like three, that rule's now three years old. It this doesn't year, matter. He's got 47 hey. people in a coaching shirt to tell him what the rule is. They put the graphic up during the commercial, during the TV broadcast that's on in every coaching booth up there. Like, Surely some analyst knew, hey, you're supposed to go for two here. Don't stand the kicking. Hey, Don- Donovan and McNabb had no idea how the NFL overtime worked years ago. They tied, remember? The mm-hmm. the overtime period ended and just ended at a tie, and, and McNabb was shocked. But, hey, to, to your credit on your Spencer Rattler take a couple weeks ago, I mean, it's not your fault you didn't – I mean, who, who would have seen South Carolina be in somebody's Super Bowl, you know, a week ahead of time? That's true. The mighty, the mighty South Carolina Gamecocks. It was, it was a nice material. Parade. It was a nice parade, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, we will close up shop here on this edition of the Vol Quest Podcast. Appreciate you guys for being here, uh, taking it in with us through the very end, for watching on YouTube. Pound that like button. Let's subscribe to the channel if we haven't already. Uh, most importantly, though, if you're listening right now, not a member over at VolQuest.com, hey, it's, it's about to get real. This back half of the schedule, Tennessee's got seven regular season games left. A huge month of October awaits, and you can find the best coverage for UT athletics, for UT football right now. That is at VolQuest.com. A big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. For a free estimate, give them a call today. That's at 865-524-5888. As always, you can visit them online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. For Rob Lewis, Grant Ramey, and Brent Hubbs, I am Mary Kane. Thank you so much for being here and listening to the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest. With 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.